Hey, welcome to Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. I believe the message you're about to hear is going to encourage you, inspire you, and equip you for life. If you'd like to know more about Equippers Church and ways to partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. So I have the uh, opportunity, the honor and privilege of talking about the, our next heartbeat. Anybody remember what our heartbeats are? Remember the first one? The H is for honor. Awesome. Second one, E is for excel, excellence. Three, today is advance. And then next week is reach out. And the last one is together. So those are our heartbeats. Those are the core values that we have as a church. We believe they're not just values for us as a church, but they're values for each of us individually. That if we um, put these values into our lives, that we will be people of honor, of excellence, we'll be advancing, we'll be reaching out, and we'll be together. And this is something to build a life on. We at Equippers Church, we believe that we are equipping people for life, not just equipping people for church uh, or equipping people for ministry, but we're equipping people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for all the fathers in the house. Lord, we thank you most of all for you, Lord, our Heavenly Father that um, gives good gifts, Lord, like we talked about during worship, Lord, that we would be able to receive today all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, we're going to read a little bit uh, before we get started. So if you have, it's not up on the screen. Um, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. It'll be in Philippians 2 uh, and then um, Philippians 3. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, just listen. Just let the word wash over you today. Um, you know, in Uh, It talks about the washing of the water of the word. So I just want to read a little bit uh, before we get going. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in uh, chapter 3, says, I once thought these things, so all of, all of Paul's qualifications, all the things that he had that set him apart from other people, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I already reached perfection, But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. 
but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let us let all who are spiritual, spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. The word of the Lord. So that's the, those two scriptures, uh, Philippians 2, Philippians 3, really set the, the, uh, the tone for what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about advance. And you might think, what, what is advance? What does that have to do with a, a church? What does that have to do with my life? You know, what is advancement? What, what does that uh, mean? I'm going to skip this next slide. Advancement just means I am using my gifts to serve God's purpose. That's all advancement means. I'm using the gifts that God has given me. I'm serving him, and I'm serving his purpose. So that's all that advancement means. So really, we can think of it like this. We can think of it like a formula. It's that gifts plus serving plus purpose equals advancement. That's, all it, that's simply all it is. And you might be asking, why advance? Why, why would we do this? Why is advancement a value? And the first thing is, is that Jesus advanced. In Luke 2.52, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about that Jesus learned obedience, that it was something that he had to grow into. So if Jesus, you know, God in the flesh had to grow, we're probably going to need to grow too. Um, the other thing is that everything God creates grows. If you look around the natural world, everything that is created grows. And you're either growing or you're dying, unfortunately. So we are called to grow. We're called to be more this week than we were last week. We're called to be more this year than we were last year. We're called to continue to grow. And then the other thing is that we are never arriving. Um, Karl Barth, he was a, a theologian in Germany during the 1930s and 40s. He kind of led the resistance movement against uh, Hitler in the church. Uh, he talks about that the church must always be reforming, that the church never can sit on its uh, laurels. It can never just sit down and just say, we have it all figured out, but that the church is supposed to always be reforming. The church reformed and always reforming is, is another way to put it. And so the church as a whole is always advancing, and we as individually are always advancing because how many of you know we are who we are, like we've been talking about all series. And I just love this thought by uh, Ruth Haley Barton. She says, the best thing any of us have to bring to leadership is our own transforming selves. You know, the best thing that I bring to my leadership is not my gifts. It's not my talents. It's not my abilities. As great as all those things are, and we're going to talk about some of that in a little bit. But the best thing that I can bring to my leadership is my willingness to grow, is my willingness to be better than I was last year. You know, we, uh, my wife and I were sitting down with a young couple that's getting married in a couple months and just kind of talking through life and, you know, different things that we've learned. And just as we were on our way there reflecting on some of the, the keys, the values that we have as a, as a marriage and what we've seen work in other marriages, what we've seen haven't, hasn't worked, one of the keys, one of the foundations that we see that all successful marriages thrive on is that both people in the relationship make a commitment to grow. When marriages begin to struggle, 
almost always it's because one spouse chooses not to grow. They fold their arms, they sit down, and they say, I'm, I, this is just me, accept me how I am. And yes, we accept people how they are, but for your marriage to have longevity. So if you're married here, if you're thinking about getting married here, if you're dating, if you've been married for 20 years, what I have seen is that the key to a healthy and lasting marriage is that both spouses are willing to grow together. And that's what advancement is. It's that I'm committed to growing. It's that I'm committed to using my gifts to serve God and to serve humanity. You know, I think it's so key that we're doing this advance on Father's Day because the heart of a father is to see their children go further than they do. At the heart of fatherhood is that you have these sons and daughters and you want them to actually go further than you do in your life. That you want them to outpace you. You want them to have your, what is it, your ceiling to be their floor. Uh, and there's uh, John Adams. He was one of the, the founding fathers. He, he has this quote about, I must learn war and politics so that my sons can learn. Um, I must learn war and politics so that my sons can learn math and philosophy so that their sons can learn art and architecture. And that's the heart of a father is that I have to fight battles so that my children can begin to learn something better, so that their children can, be, can, learn to, can begin to learn something better. And that's the heart of a father. And, you know, I look, I look out and I see so many fathers. Um, and if I start now, I'll start crying, so I'm not going to start naming people. But I just see so many fathers out in the audience. My own dad's here and my father-in-law. Um, and they exemplify this, that they want their children to go further than they did. That they don't have to fight the same battles. They don't have to go through the same hardships. They don't have to go through the same struggles that they did so that, they, that we can start and go further than they did, that they, we can advance further than they did. And that's the heart of a father, the father of God, but also earthly fathers. So happy Father's Day, everybody. My own, my, uh, my son stayed in from Kids Church and Junior High to hear me. Honor. Um, special. Um, so, like we said, it's three things. It's God's purpose, it's servanthood, and it's my gift. So we're actually going to go backwards. First, we're going to talk about God's purpose. What is God's purpose on the earth? And simply, God's purpose on the earth is on earth as it is in heaven. That is the overarching umbrella for what God's purpose on the earth is. He wants to see earth transformed to look like heaven. And um, at the end of uh, Philippians 3, in one of the translations, it talks about, remember, you are a colony of heaven on earth. The Philippians were a Roman colony. They were planted in Philippi by Rome to make Philippi look like Rome. That was why the Romans, that's why there was a Philippians. That's why there was a city in Philippi. Because Rome wanted an outpost in that part of the world, and so they sent a bunch of people from Rome to Philippi to make Philippi look like Rome. And so the whole surrounding uh, area could be under Roman occupation. And so we, as the church, we are a colony of heaven on earth. And our job, our role, our responsibility is to make earth look like heaven. It's to make our part of the Central Coast look more and more like heaven. It's to make our jobs look more and more like heaven. It's to make our homes look more and more like heaven. It's to make our schools look more and more like heaven. That is God's purpose on earth, is to make earth look like heaven. We are planted as ambassadors on earth to make earth look like heaven. Amen? Um, 
And what does that actually look like? You know, I think sometimes we can read that and be like, oh, yeah, we want to make earth look like heaven. And really, as I was thinking and just reading this week, two things really stood out to me. The first one is human flourishing. That part of what makes earth look like heaven is humans are living at their full capacity. You know, in heaven, you're not going to live underneath your capacity that God created you to. You're going to walk the way that you were created to. You're going to do what you were created to do. You're going to be who you were created to be. And so if we're called to make earth look like heaven, our jobs is to help other people flourish, to become the humans, the full humans that they were called to be. And really that looks like humans being reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, and reconciled to themselves. You know, so often we live unreconciled in those three areas of our lives. Some of us are reconciled to God. You know, we've given our heart to God, we've given our lives to God, and yet we have unreconciled relationships. We have people in our lives that we're not reconciled to. We're not living in that full flourishing of reconciled relationships. Some of us, we have the, ver the vertical thing down. You know, we're reconciled to God. We're reconciled to those around us, but we're not reconciled to ourselves. We don't really know who we are. We don't really know why we're here. We don't really know what God called us to. We just kind of float through life just being, existing, instead of flourishing. Yeah. And so that later on, we're going to talk about our gifts, what our gifts are, what our callings are, and... That's part of this human flourishing is finding out why you were put on this earth, why God called you to do what you were called to do. I didn't drink any water this morning because I didn't want to have to pee, but now I'm like so thirsty. Yeah, that's too much. Thank you, Father. Um, oh, no, I have another one down here. I'm good. <laughs> So, um, and then the second one, so we, we believe in human flourishing, that every human is made in the image of God, and we want them to live up to that full, full image. Now, we were talking uh, last week with some friends, and we were just talking about what it means that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that we are called to be Jesus, that Jesus calls us to look like him. And so really, the more we look like Jesus, the more we look like him, the more we look like our true authentic selves, that the false self, that those things in our lives that are messed up by sin, are broken by sin, are, are marred by sin, as we begin to look more and more like Jesus, we actually look more and more human. Because Jesus was not only fully God, he was fully human. So he re represented God to humanity, but he also represented humanity back to God. That this is what your original design looked like. This is what it looks like to be fully human. So we look at Jesus, we not only see what God looks like, we see what humanity looks like. A fully formed human looks like Jesus. So the more I begin to look like Jesus, the more I actually look human, which just blows my mind, but that is the reality of it. And then the other thing is we believe that creation is being restored, that our original kingdom mandate was to see the Garden of Eden cover the whole world. And so as we begin to see on earth as it is in heaven, we begin to see creation look more and more like its original design. We begin to see the curse being broken. You know, there's so many stories of, um, I remember in the late 90s, there was these uh, videos called transformation videos, and they would go, and there would just be incredible outpourings of God's spirit in different parts of the world, and they would go there, and one of the, the marks of an outpouring of God's spirit was that creation would be restored. I remember there was one place in, I believe it was Guatemala, they, the farmers had these carrots that were like the size of their arms, like just massive because it was creation was being restored back to what it was called to be. And so we believe that humans are supposed to flourish and the world is supposed to flourish.
So Jesus is taking his kingdom project forward. This is not something, and we're going to talk about our gifts. We're going to talk about our talents. We're going to talk about all of that. But we cannot forget, we do not build God's kingdom. We build for God's kingdom. God builds his kingdom, and I get to be a part of it. It is not my kingdom. I get to be a son or a daughter building for the kingdom of God. It is Jesus that takes his kingdom project forward. And I just um, want to read this. This is from N.T. Wright's book, Simply Jesus. Uh, and when we send out on Wednesday, when we send out the video uh, interview that we've been doing with uh, Pastor Steve Graham, uh, there will be some resources on there. I'm, I'm a big reader. Um, so I'm going to have some resources on there that kind of go along with what I'm talking about this morning. And one of those books is called Simply Jesus by N.T. Wright. If you want to know more about who Jesus was, why he came to earth, that is probably the best book. It's, it's a pretty simple read, and it's just an amazing overview of who Jesus is. But at the end of the book, he's talking about what it looks like for earth to look like heaven. So this is what he says. This is what it looks like today. When Jesus is running the world, this is, after all, what we are told to expect. So listen to this. The poor in spirit will be making the kingdom of heaven happen. The meek will be taking over the earth so gently that the powerful won't notice until it's too late. The peacemakers will be putting the arms manufacturers out of business. Those who are hungry and thirsty for God's justice will be analyzing government policy and legal rulings, and speaking up on behalf of those at the bottom of the pile. The merciful will be surprising everybody by showing them that there is a different way to do human relations other than being judgmental, eager to put everyone else down. You are the light of the world, said Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. He was announcing a program yet to be completed. He was inviting his hearers then and now to join him in making it happen. This is, quite simply, what it looks like when Jesus is enthroned. That is on earth as it is in heaven. And so God, God's purpose on earth as it is in heaven is only accomplished through servanthood. The key to advancement in the kingdom of God is servanthood. In Philippians 2, 5 through 9 that we, let, we read earlier, we're just going to read it again. It says, And consider the example that Jesus has set before us, let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a human and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. So this is what glory looks like in the kingdom. This is what greatness looks like in the kingdom. It looks like servanthood. God's purposes on the earth are only found by servants. And I love what Pastor John was talking about today. You know, God doesn't call us. We're not forced into servanthood. We're invited into sonship. And being a son or a daughter of God 
looks like servanthood. God doesn't call us as servants. He calls us as friends. He calls us as sons and daughters. But then we look at the true son of God, and we realize that true sonship looks like servanthood. And, you know, I was, as I was just reflecting this week and um, just thinking about kind of the identity that, you know, God's been pouring out on the earth. And, you know, I love all the stuff about sonship and identity and, you know, who God's called us to be. And, you know, you, God's put greatness inside of you. You know, really lifting up people because for so long we were told we were, we're wretched, we're sinners, we're not, you know, just blah, 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 just beating people down. You know, so I, I love the sonship message. I love the, the message of identity. But identity divorced from servanthood creates entitled, arrogant Christians that walk around saying, oh, man, I am, I am God's favorite. And guess what? You are God's favorite. But Jesus, I'll go back to it. Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He gave no thought of seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. At the end of Luke, he says, I am among you as one who serves. When the disciples began to argue among themselves about who was the greatest, Jesus told them what greatness looked like. He didn't rebuke their need to be great. He simply reformed their model of greatness. You are called to be great. You are called to be amazing. You are called to serve the world because that in the kingdom is true greatness. And I tried to find the message, and if we find it, I'll put it in the resources, but um, Pastor John preached a message a couple years ago about the drum major instinct going off of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s message about the drum major instinct that we all inside of us have this desire to lead. We all inside of us have this desire to be great. And it's a God-given gift. It is a God-given thing inside of us. We are called to be great. But that greatness gets marred. It gets twisted. It gets moved by society into thinking that to be great means I have to put others down into thinking that to be great, I have to be better than other people. To be great, I have to tear somebody else down. To be great, I have to climb the ladder of success. I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way. But in the kingdom, we see that the greatest among us is a servant of all. That in the kingdom, we climb the ladder. We climb the mountain to turn around and extend a hand to help other people get where where we are. That is true greatness in the kingdom. True greatness is using my gifts, my talent, my ability, my identity to serve others, to see them walk into their full identity, into their human flourishing. I need to flourish and be all that God has called me to be because not doing that is actually selfish. I am robbing the people around me. I am robbing my family. I am robbing my friends. I am robbing those that I lead whether I'm on a stage or whether I'm just at work, I am robbing those I lead by not being fully human. I am actually hurting rather than helping. I am dying rather than growing. And now, 
We have to remember. I have to remember. Now, this is not a pull-me-up-by-my-bootstraps message. This is not, I have to grit my teeth and just, oh, I'm going to be better than I was last week. This is a, I'm going to receive the grace of God and allow him to transform me into the image of his son more and more. This is not something I have to do. This is something I get to be. I get to rest in my sonship. I get to rest in my identity. I get to receive more and more of the Spirit. And because of that, I exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. They are the fruit that grow on the tree of the Spirit. So if I want more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life, I just need more of the Spirit in my life. I don't have to do anything. I just, uh, Thomas Merton, he was a, um, uh, a monk. He, he says, how does, a tree, how does an apple ripen? It just sits in the sun. Fruit happens because of the environment that it's in, not because of what it does or doesn't do. So we are never more like Jesus than when we serve. And John Mark Comer, who uh, wrote a book, Garden City, that we used for our, um, gar- as the kind of foundation for our Garden City series at the end of last year, he says, if your dreams are all about you, then your dreams are way too small. You need to dream larger, larger than your job or career or net worth or name or body. You need dreams as large as Jesus' vision of the kingdom, a kingdom where greatness has been radically redefined around a crucified Messiah where children are the guests of honor, where servants lead and leaders serve, where the last are first. That is our kingdom. Philippians 3, 12 through 16, it says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into the abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight to the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus so that all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them and let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. And that's our prayer today, is that God will reveal it to them and let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with passion. And so as we're kind of, so we have... God's purpose on earth as it is in heaven. We have uh, servanthood. Remember, it was gifts plus servanthood plus purpose. And so we're going to talk about our gifts a little bit. Um, and really, this this message, you know, sometimes as a, as a preacher, you preach messages because it's part of a series, or you preach messages because it's something that God's been speaking to you. And sometimes you get to share messages that 
come out of your life. And really, this is part of the series, but really this has been my life for the last 10 years probably, is trying to discover my gifts, my talents, my abilities, why, why I am the way that I am, why God put me on this earth, and how I can use that to further his kingdom. This has really come out of that passion to do that. And this, this has been a life scripture for me is that I, I forget the things of the past and I move forward. I press on to the mark of the high calling. Because, you know, I grew up knowing that I was called by God. And I just knew from a young age. I mean, my parents told me and just everywhere I went, it was kind of the, the whole I think it was Shakespeare that said, you know, some people are born great, some people choose greatness, and some people have greatness thrust upon them. I was definitely like the greatness thrust upon them. Like, I never really felt great. <laughs> just like, oh, you're leading. You get to lead now. Oh, we need somebody to do this. You get to, it was like, just always was like the one that was told I was going to lead. And so I kind of just had to lead. Um, but never really felt that I could lead because I didn't look like other leaders. I didn't look like what I thought a leader looked like. I didn't have, you know, I'm not the, the type A driven personality, like, we're just going to charge. Like, that is not me at all. I'm, like, the laid back, mellow, like, eh, it's all going to be okay. Like, don't worry about it. And so, like, I look at, like, what leaders are, quote, unquote, supposed to be. And then I look at my life, and I'm like, I will never be that. I tried to be that, and it was miserable, and I hated it, and I hated myself. Like, uh, so that I can't. So if I'm called to be a leader, which I know I am, I have to find out how, how I can lead using the gifts, strengths, and abilities that God has put inside of me. And so this, this message comes out of that. Um, and, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, this, this is now one of my life scriptures. It says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, I used to say that in a fatalistic way. I am what I am, you know? Take it or leave it. This is me. I'm just lazy, or I'm just this, or I'm just that. But now I realize, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I get to be what I get to be. I, I am who I am. But his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Remember what I said, this is not a grit your teeth, self-help. I'm just going to be better than I was yesterday. I'm just going to work hard. I'm just going to be more. It's not that. It's that I'm going to receive grace to be who God called me to be. I don't have to wear any masks. I don't have to try to be somebody else. I don't have to try to do anything that's not mine to do. I just get to be me and to serve others. And that is so wonderful and humbling. Because when you realize that people value you just for you, it is the most humbling thing in the world. When you don't have to put a mask on and try to be somebody that you're not. But when somebody says, I see who you are and I value you and I want you to use those gifts to serve others, there's nothing better. There is nothing better. So stewardship of self starts with self-leadership, 
like we talked about in Philippians 3, and then it also is self-knowledge, like we just talked about. It's knowing who we are. I, by the grace of God, I am who I am. Augustine said, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. So the more, like we talked about earlier, the more that we know ourselves, the more that we know God, because we are created in God's image. And when we set aside our ideas about what we're supposed to be, when we stop grasping at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, trying to understand, trying to figure everything out, and I just rest in my sonship. I rest in who God created me to be. I rest in my identity. And that resting is where the doing can take place. It is the foundation that I get a launch off of. So discovering your gifts. We're going to go through three or four different ways to discover your gifts. Um, and we're just, these are going to be the 30,000-foot overview of these. Um, we are not going to get in nitty-gritty. People teach entire conferences of each one of these. Um, so I am not going to, in the next, like, five minutes, I'm not going to be able to cover all of these. I'm just going to give you some high-level things. And if this stirs something inside of you, if this, um, you want to know more, at the end, I actually um, put my email out there. Um, if you want to know your gifts, your personality, you want, and how you can use that to further the kingdom of God, I want you to email me, and I will take time, a couple hours, with you. Um, there won't be a cost to do that, other than you will buy some materials, but I believe that if an entire church can figure out who they are, why they were put on this earth, and how they can serve, not just the church, but the community, their jobs, their families. Think of the revolution that can happen on the Central Coast. When you have hundreds of people living out of their true identity under with the foundation of servanthood, what could that do to a community? What could that do when you walk into your boss three months from now and you say, I know who I am. I don't have to be anybody else. I'm sorry that for the last six years I've tried to be Sally. I'm not Sally. I'm me. And you just live out of that. Think about what that could do for your job. What could that do for your community? What could that do for your family that you stop trying to be your dad or your mom? You know, I love, I, I said my dad was here, and I love that my dad realized at a young age that I wasn't him. Like, I love my dad, but I, like, we are polar opposites. My dad can fix anything with anything. Um, you know, growing up, I loved the show MacGyver, probably because, like, it was like watching my dad as a spy. Um, so if you ever watch MacGyver, that's my dad, basically. Um, he could do anything, and I can't fix anything um, at all. Um, and so one of my endearing memories of my dad, um, I was probably 15 or 16. I don't even remember what was going on. But we were talking about something, and so my grandfather was a welder, my dad was a welder, and it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that I was not going to be a welder. It was just not something that was going to happen. Um, but I remember, somebody is calling me. Uh, no, they're not. Okay, somebody else. Somebody's calling somebody. Um, so I forget what we were talking about. I was probably ta telling him some dumb story that I read in some book or magazine or listen to and there weren't podcasts then but 
I just, I knew so much random stupid information. I was probably just telling him like some, something about something that didn't really matter. And I just remember him sitting, and we're sitting there by our fireplace, and he, he sits me down, and he says, look at, look at my hands. I can't, I can't. <laughs> look at my hands. And I, I look at his hands, and, you know, they're the hands of somebody who works with their hands. And he said, these are not going to be your hands. God has given you gifts and abilities that I don't have. And you need to pursue who God's put you on this earth to be. And you don't have to be me. So thank you. <laughs> and whenever I really get focused on trying to be somebody I'm not, that picture always comes back to me. These, these are not going to be your hands. You get to be who God created you to be. And so in order to discover our gifts, we want to discover our spiritual gifts. Those are found in Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, 11, which is really the, the foundation, foundational verse for our church. And we're just going to read just uh, the Ephesians 4 passage. This is why we are called Equippers Churches. Ephesians 4.11. And Bree, if you're around, you can come play the keys. Be wrapping up soon. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heavens, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to people. And then skip down to verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So the reason we have gifts is to help equip others that all of us can come up to the full measure that we are called to be. And when we were talking about this at, at staff meeting, we, somebody said, we have to begin to measure up to the head, which is Christ, or else we just look like a bobblehead with this giant head and like the skinny little body and we're just bobbling around. And that's why we want to discover our gifts, because we want to grow into the full stature that God has created us to be. So the first thing we want to discover is our spiritual gifts. This is just the, the things, the intrinsic spiritual things that we have to offer others. Uh, some of them are uh, evangelism, words of knowledge, healing, faith, uh, generosity. You know, we're all called to be generous, but some of us have a gift of generosity. We're all called to heal, but some of us have a gift of healing. These are things that Everybody has access to, but some of us have a greater measure of grace on our life. We have a greater charisma of that in our life. And so we want to begin to discover those because as we begin to flow in those, there is something that happens in the spirit when you begin to operate in your spiritual gift. When you begin to operate in what God has put you on this earth to do, and it's one of the things we want to be very clear about is that these gifts, learning your identity is not so you 
are a better servant at Equippers Church. You are learning these things so you are better equipped to go out into your world and see your world transformed to look like heaven. Amen? The next, you want to discover your personality. Uh, the best website I've ever seen that does that is called 16personalities.com. They basically use the Myers-Briggs uh, and they break it down. It's super fun. You have like a cartoon character. It's like, oh, this is your personality. Um, super good, super easy. It's only like five or ten minute test. It's free. Um, one thing I want to say about personalities, some, sometimes when you begin to talk about this, people get super defensive, like, don't try to put me in a box. Like, I'm, I'm my own person. I'm an individual. Totally true. But the way you can think about personalities is houses. If you've ever been to the Southwest, you'll see a bunch of houses that look really similar. If you've ever been to the South, you'll see a bunch of houses that look similar. If you've ever been to New England, you'll see a bunch of houses that look similar. So those are all styles of houses, but each of those houses is individualized. Those are personalities. Your personality is the style of house that you are. You will have your own individual house. You will decorate it your own individual way, but there will be a style about you that is similar to other people. Does that make sense? Okay. You are still an individual. You're still a unique snowflake. You're still special. Don't worry about it. But these are just mental maps that will help you. Uh, there's a, a mathematician. He says, all models are wrong, but some models are useful. So these are some models that I found that are useful. Awesome? Okay, next, discovering your gifts. You want to discover your strengths. Uh, these primarily are dealing with uh, business or uh, leadership, one-on-one, -on -one, interpersonal strengths. Um, and the, the best book on this is called Strengths Finder 2.0. Uh, with that, you take a little test, and it, has a, it breaks down a bunch of different strengths and how they, they work and how, how they're involved in leadership, how they're involved in just being part of a team. Uh, and then the last one is called uh, the Enneagram. Uh, the Enneagram is a personality typing system. We don't really know where it comes from, but it was used by the early desert uh, fathers and mothers. It's become really popular since like the 1970s. Um, what I love about the Enneagram compared to other personalities, other personality typing tells you what you do. Um, Enneagram is much more concerned about why you do it. It's much more concerned about your motives, and it's a, it's a tool for spiritual formation, not just putting a stamp on you like, oh, you're a INFJ, boom, okay, done, next, next. The Enneagram is like, okay, I know who I am. I know what my root sin is and why I do what I do. And now here are practices that help me grow into being the person that God has called me to be. Um, so the best, uh, let's see, the best way to find out uh, kind of what your personality is is the Essential Enneagram. It's a little book. It's like eight bucks on Amazon. And then The Road Back to You um, was, is another book. It's super helpful. Um, but like I said, if you are interested in any of these uh, my email will be up at the end, and I will help you walk through all of this um, because this is something that I found helpful in my life, and I want other people to do that as well. So I want to leave you with this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That is where you are called to in the world. Where does your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet? There are all things that we do that we don't love doing that aren't part of our gift mix. We just do because we love God and we're part of a family and we serve. But there is a flow that you drop into when you begin to use your gifts, your deep gladness, meeting the world's deep hunger 
there is, there is a flow in that that is unlike anything else that you will experience in your life. And that's what we want you to be, begin to experience. So if you want to discover your gifts and how to use them, this is my email, josiah at equipperscentralcoast.com. And so before we close, I just, there's really two, two areas that I felt like God wanted to minister to this morning. So can we all stand up? We're actually going to do that. We're going to advance this morning because this whole thing is about advancing. I am using my gifts to serve God's purpose. That is what advancement means. I am using my gifts to serve God's purpose. And one of the things we talked about early on is that we're forgetting the things of the past and moving forward to the mark of the high calling. And so if you feel like you're stuck in the past, if you feel like there's things that happened to you in the past, words that were spoken over you, you know, the thing is, when we hear that, most of us think bad things. Oh man, somebody said this really bad thing about me and I just, I can't get over that. But you know, some of you are stuck in the past because you had success in the past. Do you know who I was? Do you know what I did? Some of us say that like, do you know what I did? Like all the horrible things. And then some of us say that, do you know what I did? Like I was a big shot. Like I did this and this and this. And you know, I, I did all these things. And you live continually out of your past. But this is a new day. It's a new time. You know, our, one of our, our key scriptures for this year is Joshua 1. And it starts out and it says, Moses, the servant of God, is dead. You're in charge now, buddy. In your life, the old thing is dead. It is time to step into the new. And it talks about in Joshua 1. He says, everywhere that the sole of your foot steps is yours. But that doesn't just mean walking around. That The root of that talks about wherever you are willing to stand and load your weapon and fight. That is your land. And so it is time to step into the new season. Well, I pray that you are feeling encouraged, inspired, and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life. And hey, why do you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m., and it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. Ready?